Where's the Flynn 302, Congressman? That report is missing. It's gone. Poof. It's out, out. We can't find it. So in regard to a lot of FISA things, yes, I think there's more sh shoes to drop and I think there'll be prosecution. Is the president part of these discussions, these negotiations? I don't know. I don't have any idea what the president does. He said that the house was on vacation. But you know what? Don't waste your time or mine on what he says, okay? The clock is ticking. T minus 175 days until America votes. Yeah, we're coming to your city. Gonna play our guitars and sing you a country song. From coast to coast. From border to border. From sea to shining sea, Sean Hannity is on. All right, glad you're with us. Loaded up today. What did Obama know? When did he know it? Uh, yeah, that question will have to be asked along with many others. We're going to get to all of this today. Um, a lot to get to. Senator Rand Paul took on Fauci and took on the whole issue of FISA today in a really couple of powerful moments he had. He'll join us today. Uh, we'll have the latest on the deep state opening safely uh, with Dr. Oz. Look, so the Democrats, for I, I guess they're non-essential personnel because they basically have been missing in action. And while they're missing an action and their idle time when they're not eating designer ice cream, they have decided to propose what would now be the fifth round of COVID-19 funding. Now, remember, we've already spent three trillion dollars. This money is appropriated towards workers. Most Americans understand the need for it. Uh, hospitals, small businesses, large businesses. We, through the mitigation efforts of the president, we stand now at about 80,000 deaths in the U.S., 1.3 million people that have been infected. Uh, when you look, we, we now can learn a lot because so many people have been so wrong in so many ways from the very beginning. It is actually shocking. But most of these deaths happening in New York, New Jersey, California, Florida, Georgia, Texas at 1,100, Florida, 1,700, Georgia, 1,400, and then New York, 26,600 and a lot of it dealing with this idiotic March 25th initiative of executive order that forced COVID-19 patients into nursing homes, long-term care facilities. What have we learned here? We learned that if you do what Ron DeSantis did, and that is you, you use every bit of resources you have at your avail, even the National Guard, and you go into the elderly, vulnerable population as it relates to COVID-19, and you protect that population. And they did down in Florida, which is why with the highest concentration of elderly population in the country, they did so much better than every other state. Forget about New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, but Michigan and all these other states because and they let people walk on the beaches socially distant, but they walked on the beaches. Now they're talking about now we also allowed with the Fed up to four Another $4 trillion in what would be loan guarantees for people. That is $7 trillion taxpayer dollars. Now, the Democrats don't seem too keen on opening up the country safely, although you can look at the vast percentage. If you had New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Washington State and California and Florida and Georgia and 1,100 people in Texas, 
you, you, you're kind of you're concentrating the overwhelming vast majority of deaths to these states with higher density issues than, than some other states. I mean, there's there's a reason for it. I'm not pointing fingers, although New York did a disaster. Now, what they want to do here, and and this is not the answer. Three trillion dollars more is not the answer, especially when you look at what they're trying to do here. Everything this this is the perfect example of never let a crisis go to waste because you'll get things done. You never dream could happen uh, at any other time. And now that you have three trillion spent, you got four trillion in loan guarantees. You've got Americans begging and fighting and protesting and even going to jail because they want to work and open up their businesses again. Now the answer of the Democrats who have been in hiding in their gated community mansions with their designer ice cream. Now they're saying, well, we're now going to give away three trillion dollars more. They just want to hand out cash payments to American families, tax credits for American families. I'm, I'm not that much against tax credits. I'm all for it. But this is where it gets to be a money grab. They want $500 billion in funding to assist state governments with the fiscal impacts of the health emergency. Okay, $500 billion. So let me explain what that really means. Uh, the Fed, They want the federal government, all of you that live in red states that don't live in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois, California, Washington state, all of you in the middle, all of you red states, they're now going to, if they pass this bill and Republicans must say no, especially in the Senate, then they are going to basically be saying for all of your responsible voting in the past, voting in fiscally responsible governors, fiscally responsible state legislators and senators, we, you are now going to bail out these big blue states that are have spent and squandered and taxed and failed the people of those states, which is why so many people are leaving these states. $500 billion, that means they're using your money to fund unfunded pension plans that they should have been funding all along to pay off their debt, to pay off their deficits, to pay off their waste, their fraud, and their abuse. And they're doing the same thing. Part two is the local fiscal relief which is $375 billion in funding to assist local governments. Well, that would be local governments like New York City. Waste, fraud, abuse of taxpayer money on a level you can't even begin to imagine. And they've got social services, and it goes on. Then the education department, et cetera. All it is is a huge money grab giveaway. None of this really, some very in, in tangential ways, has to do with bailing out the you know covid relief we've already allocated three billion the answer is not in this bill the answer is in opening the country and opening the country safely what are the lessons we've learned well if you do what governor ron DeSantis did down in florida and you go in and protect the elderly population then you've gone a long way towards preventing there, there will be hot spots. There will be rebounds. But you go in like they did in South Dakota, like they did in Iowa, like they did in Washington State in the meat processing plants, and immediately you dive all over it. Now that we have all the ventilators, all the medical equipment that we'd ever want or need in the future, especially when this might happen sometime in the fall. But the answer is opening up the country. And Americans are dying to, you know, to open up the country. 
When I break down, I can give you now all the waste, fraud and abuse in New York, for example. You know, Empire State Development Corporation grew 63 percent in from 739 million in 2016 to 1.2 billion in 2018. You know, what are they involved in? Let's see, an investment in the Buffalo Billion, the Life Sciences Initiative, a new laboratory, appropriations of money for the Strategic Projects Program and high tech. This is what New York does with the money they tax people. They waste it. What do they do in New York? What do they do in California? Everything's free for illegal immigrants. That is multi-hundreds of millions of dollars. You got in New York a $700 million solar panel factory that eventually was mothballed and picked up by Elon Musk, Tesla. They had 600 workers on site. You know what the cost for that solar factory project was? Uh, 1.2 million New York taxpayer dollars per job created. This is madness. $7 billion annually in New York for the Citizens Budget Commission uh, estimated state expenditures on development uh, data to prove investments are worthwhile. They're spending $7 billion in New York. They spent $600 million on a microchip factory. What does New York have to do with a microchip factory or partnering with a California light bulb, uh, uh company to build a $90 million factory outside of Syracuse? Yeah, that was mothballed also. They're giving away $420 million in annual tax credits from New York for the film industry. Why, are they, why do they get any money? Why are we building all these I Love New York signs for millions of dollars? And they're decorating their bridges at a cost of $216 million. Okay, you can start saving a lot of money. In Illinois, $13 million on an arts council chaired by the wife of the Illinois House Speaker. That's pretty stupid. $23.6 million on programs to encourage bike riding in Illinois. Government, we don't need $23 million to spend on studying bike riding. If you want to ride a bike, go get a bike. Or, or money spent and allocated so young people will take up golf. And money spent on the monarch butterflies. This is what these blue states do. They tax you to death and then they waste it all. $10 million to rehabilitate the dilapidated, a privately owned uptown theater in Chicago. Well, how about the privately owned theater upgrade itself? And if they can't upgrade it, let them sell it. Municipalities in Illinois, they spent more than $2 million on lobbying. Spending on pensions is up, you know, in the last 15 years, 663%. They have all these unfunded pensions. Now you're, they're going to ask you, the taxpayer, to, to bail them out. All their waste, all their fraud, all their abuse, all their all the money they take in in taxes. You know, California. How much is a sanctuary state like California costing the people of California? They have road signs. You know, that cost six thousand five hundred and twenty-eight bucks each. They have a two hundred twenty-two, uh, two hundred and twenty-seven thousand dollar bus driver, and others drivers making a hundred grand or more. Okay, good job. I guess if you can get it, gold-plated transit buses. That costs three to five times the national average in California. I mean, all of this, it's all waste. It's all fraud. It's all abuse. And all of this is now they're saying to, to responsible states, well, come bail us out. I don't, I'm saying all you responsible states, don't do it. And call you senator and call you congressman. And by the way, much to my chagrin. But I will tell you, the country's demanding to be opened. And they're demanding to be open now. 
And if we don't start opening up the country now that we've learned lessons, what have we learned? I keep talking about this kid I had on the program yesterday that this kid was stocking the shelves, all his employees. New York never ran out of food. Grocery store shelves remain stocked. And it was because these guys put on their masks and they went to work every day. And as he told you yesterday, nobody at the store got COVID-19. The same thing in, in the middle of the epicenter. Uh, I know local Rite Aids and, and also uh, CVS, they were all open. People were working. You can open and open safely. We've learned that when you wear the masks, they work. There's a pretty cool mask on the NewYorkPost.com uh, website where they actually put a hole, but it, they put the hole in the wrong place where you could actually drink your drink out of the hole in your mask. You might want to put it over the side or slip it in underneath. Um, you see, for example, in New York, Corona Hospital admissions have now plunged to 55 new patients. We now, not only did we hit the apex, now the precipitous decline that we all wanted are happening. Look what Elon Musk is doing. He's going to reopen Tesla in defiance of another shutdown. We saw what happened to the salon owner. You know, I know that Dr. Fauci is, you know, considered a, a demigod by everybody and, and just to be worshipped. But he was telling us that everything's fine on February 29th. He was telling young, healthy people they can go out on cruises on March the 10th. I mean, so nobody got it right. In part, I would say it's partly China's fault. The February 29th, Fauci on coronavirus. No need to change lifestyle yet. That was February 29th, March 2nd. Both Cuomo and de Blasio go out on the town. We're not like these other countries. They were all wrong. And we could see that the UK, for example, uh, no longer at epidemic levels. They're opening up. Now you see owners of restaurants saying they've had it. I'm not going down with the ship. You got a Colorado restaurant owner defying a state order. He's reopening. And guess what? People have made decisions on their own and they're going. The crowds, they're packing the place. You know, Democrats are resisting and Americans have they've the American people are smart. They've watched all of this unfold. They have ascertained what the real risks are. And if you don't have underlying conditions, if you don't have uh, some type of compromised immune system and, you know, you could probably do a lot of these things, but they're making their own choice. And I would urge all of you to wear the mask, social distance, do the whole thing because you don't want to get other people sick. That's that's why I will do it. That, that's my own personal decision. Parts of New York will open, but a Pennsylvania restaurant uh, owner uh, opened up in defiance of Tom Wolf's shutdown order. People have had it. And now other countries like Italy, they're lifting the lockdown because their protests are continue. And Wolf impeachment talks as the governor doubles down on more lockdown threats. And inmates, by the way, are trying to infect themselves. That was a pretty sick report we had on Hannity last night. But, you know, it's at this point, Michigan, you have a sheriff. He's not going to enforce Whitner's stay at home order. You can't wash. You can't cut your grass. No, she's not going to do it. You have a Michigan judge siding with a barber who wanted to work in spite of Gretchen Whit Whitmer's demand to close shop in Michigan. And then we're going to get into what they did to General Flynn and what Obama knew and when he knew it. And I just got a note from a friend of mine. L.A. County is now extending their stay at home orders for the next three months. That's not going to work if they are. I mean, look, at some point with the amount of money they now want to throw around, they want to flood the zone basically and throw everything up against the wall and get more money than they would ever get under any circumstances. Look, it's not there's nobody in this country that is does not is not sympathetic towards people that were displaced, 
People, through no fault of their own, lost their jobs, small businesses that have been hurt, especially the restaurant business and the salon business, and, and Disney's still shut down, etc. But the But now that we've learned a lot about who we most must protect, the elderly, underlying conditions, compromised immune. Now that we've learned that those people that never closed, that we're not talking about reopening, how they stayed open safely, stocking shelves, et cetera, building medical equipment, et cetera. Well, we've got to take all of those lessons, including meat processing plants where some mistakes were made, but we learned we're, take, we're making adjustments as we go. Then you can open up the country safely, like we'll talk later on about Major League Baseball. Okay, how do we do that? Do that safely. I like the turnstile temperature check. I like wearing a mask. Put a hole in the side of the mask or just stick your straw underneath it and drink your beer that way. Um, I think then, and again, it's only for a short period of time here. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, changing gears here a little bit. Um, This is getting more interesting every minute hour of every day. We first started our investigation in March of 2017 into the issue of illegal, illicit spying unmasking, leaking raw intelligence. And and I know because that was the beginning. That was John Solomon, Sarah Carter, Greg Jarrett was on board very quickly thereafter. And we haven't stopped. And like many of you, we've been able to prove everything we've said is been corroborated, verified. It's all now backed up. The inspector general's report went a long way towards doing that. Everything we said about Hillary and her email server, her dirty Russian bought and paid for unverifiable phony Russian disinformation dossier. Yeah, that that's all confirmed. That being used as the bulk of information in the FISA applications, all four of them. We'll get into more details uh, throughout the show today. Um, now we have the next layer that is about to drop. Rick Rennell, DNI, has now sent over to Attorney General Barr in the Department of Justice Uh, The information reviewing the unmasking of U.S. officials as part of the broader review of Crossfire Hurricane and what happened before and after the 2016 presidential election. Remember, the attorney general has already said that, in fact, they spied on a candidate and deep into the Trump presidency spied. Remember, everyone? well, nobody uses the word spy. Well, that's exactly what they did. And they used the Russian disinformation dossier that we found out now through this this these 53 interviews that were released that John Podesta knew that they were paying for this information and that Hillary knew, which now if we go back in time, we might need to start reviewing all of her transcripts and find out everything she was saying, uh, including like, you mean with a cloth, Ed? You mean, did I clean it with a cloth? Anyway, so the director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell, delivered all of this information in terms of who in the Obama-Biden administration was involved in unmasking. Now, remember, when you have surveillance and a surveillance order, you don't have a blanket surveillance order that allows for the spying of American citizens. And so when you are in the process of, for example, there are many bad actors. Uh, uh, we have very a lot of hostile regimes. Devin Nunes warned everybody in 2014 that Russia 
the hostile regime, Putin, the hostile actor, would try to influence the 2016 elections. Biden, Obama ignored Devin Nunes. Nunes was right. And they did. Uh, We didn't know to the extent. And now we know that in spite of what the prevailing theory among the media mob conspiracy theorists, those that pushed Trump Russia collusion but ignored Hillary's dirty Russian disinformation dossier that she paid for. We now know that they knew it was going to Hillary's campaign and that she was paying for it anyway. So when you are listening in and surveilling a foreign individual for whatever the purpose happens to be, when an innocent American is on the line, once you determine that they're not involved in anything nefarious, they practice minimization. That is, and usually when they write up a report, they will say an American, even if they know it's Sean Hannity or if they know it's General Flynn, they don't write that person's name down. Not only did they unmask, but they also, and we had these the, this dramatic increase in unmasking by the Obama administration, especially in 2016, which we have talked extensively about. Samantha Powers, well, why would a U.N. ambassador unmasked 300 people she said in in her sworn statement and under questioning in the house intel uh committees that adam schiff the congenital liar was hiding that i had no idea these were being asked for i didn't ask for them but they were asked for apparently in her name anyway so rich rich uh rick Rennell now was doing exactly what he should be doing And by the way, we've got video of him. We'll show you tonight on TV entering the DOJ and bringing that information over to the extent that that information is related to any open investigation. They're going to be taking a close look at it at the Department of Justice. Um, But I think the biggest development here is about Barack Obama and this January 5th meeting that took place. Now, timelines matter. Remember, the Flynn case was put to rest They found no information that would have warranted any further investigation of General Flynn. So it was it was in the process of being closed until Peter Strzok jumped in. And if you remember, then that was on January 4th of 2017, the next day in the Oval Office. Well, there is Barack Obama. There's the ever clueless and confused Joe Biden. You got Comey. You got Brennan, Clapper, Rice, Sally Yates and others. And Sally Yates says that everyone was asked to leave the room except for her and Comey. And she said she was shocked to understand and know that Barack Obama knew everything about General Flynn's call. Well, that then raises the question, what did he know and when did he know it? Now, Lindsey Graham uh, is now saying that he wants to hear from General Flynn, Sally Yates, James Clapper, Adam Schiff. I'd add I'd add Brennan to this list and McCabe to this list. And the Senate Judiciary Committee plans to request top Obama officials now testify as part of their investigation. One of the other things we learned is what a liar Adam Schiff is, because all of these people went in and all of these people said, no, we don't have any evidence of Trump Russia collusion. And Adam Schiff would still go out on his favorite state run propaganda television networks like CNN, fake news and conspiracy TV, MSDNC. And he talked to the New York Toilet Paper Times And they gave him all the ink and all the airtime that he could ever want to spread what was absolute lies that he knew were lies. What what they can do with him, only time will tell. But anyway, we now have, according to FoxNews.com, that one Senate investigator, they're exploring this January 5th meeting, Yates, Brennan, Clapper, Comey, Susan Rice, and Obama. 
And the committee, which has been investigating the origins of Operation Crossfire Hurricane uh, and the appointment of Robert Mueller, they're considering now inviting all of them to testify before the committee. Lindsey Graham also saying that, in fact, they are going to invite all these people. And at some point, they're probably going to have to invite Obama himself. And Joe Biden can't keep his story straight on the Flynn wiretap either. I mean, he was doing an, an interview this week and he's like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, documents that were released. I know nothing about the, the moves to investigate Michael Flynn, Biden said. It's all about diversion. Well, George Stephanopoulos actually followed up and asked again, I thought you, and then Biden said, uh, he changed his story. Oh, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Oh, I'm I sorry. Do that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question. Michael, Michael Flynn over those uh, conversations he had with the uh, Russian ambassador Kislyak. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that there, they asked for an investigation, but that's all I know about it. And I don't think anything else. Well, Obama knew, according to Yates's sworn testimony under oath, uh, every detail of the call with Michael Flynn and his soon to be counterpart. As a side note, both Susan Rice and Samantha Power said that they had conversations with their soon-to-be counterparts, which was a normal process of, of any of this. And we also saw a glimpse into the original 302, which is struck in this other agent interviewing Flynn when they ambushed him on January 24th of 2017. And in that original 302, well, we're now discovering that Flynn said, I'll be honest, I, I remember talking to the guy, I don't remember the specifics of the call. So he didn't lie. He's saying, I don't remember. And they didn't think he was lying. That's an even more, you know, astounding part of this. Now, this now this January 5th Oval Office meeting with all of these top officials in the Obama administration, uh, it gets it gets pretty interesting at this point, because now uh, we have Susan Rice going back 15 days later, the day that Donald Trump is being inaugurated writing a note to self, uh, uh, memorializing the January 5th meeting in the Oval Office. Obama said to do everything by the book. Uh-huh. Sounds to me like a cover-up. Now, Charles Grassley is now saying that Obama and Biden should both be interrogated about their roles in perpetuating this hoax. They're right. Grassley's right. They've got to be interviewed. Why did Obama know about the unmasking of General Flynn? And who told him? And if it's Clapper, did Clapper lie? Because we now have enough information. If we start going back and start looking at it, you know, we all right. We know Adam Schiff is a congenital liar because he was being told in committee under sworn uh, deposition of people. He's being told by everybody it's not true. All right. So he's a liar. We can cast him off to the side. We know Obama himself you know, I, I still would like an answer to the question, you know, tell Vladimir we'll have more flexibility after the election. Biden can't keep his his story straight on any of these issues. Uh, Paul Sperry broke the point that Clinton campaign attorney Mark Elias testified that he sent the bills from Fusion GPS to campaign manager Robbie Mook. Yet Mook is publicly denied knowing anything about the dossier at the time. Robbie Mook has a lot of questions that need to be answered. Uh, we now know that with this declassification, we're going to find out the names of the Obama officials that did 
illegally unmask General Flynn. And Attorney General Barr says that the FBI extended probe for express purpose of laying a perjury trap against General Flynn he's going to get to the bottom of. And we now know what what Sidney Powell, uh, Sidney um, uh, Powell thinks about all of this, the attorney for Michael Flynn, because she said the Department of Justice, you know, dropping this investigation into the former national security advisor was still waiting on Judge Sullivan. Judge Sullivan, where are you? And, and now Judge Sullivan is doing what looks like maybe a CYA and putting a group of people together for the hopes of giving him some type of buffer for his terrible conduct and handling of all of this. Anyway, but the fact that now... This should all be dropped against General Flynn, and it still hasn't happened. And why hasn't it happened? It should have happened. The whole thing was orchestrated, set up within the FBI and the DNI and the CIA director. I'd like to know his involvement all in this Oval Office meeting on January 5th. And it looks like Obama ordered up the phony Russiagate scandal or at least had awareness of it. And that raises the question that we now have been asking for some time. What did Obama do? What did he know? When did he know it? What did he do? When did he do it? I mean, you have Comey, you have Obama. They, they started hatching this plan to cover up this spying. One of the reasons I've concluded in my mind that I think they wanted to get Flynn so bad is that Flynn was going to expose all of this as once he took the new position that he had, because all of that information would be available. So you got all these people leaving at the end of Obama's administration and meeting and, you know, then they hold back uh, Comey and Sally Yates. And now you got to ask the question, why? Because it seems to me that's where at that point they began their big cover up because they knew that they probably left a trail of evidence. And that's why I think you see Susan Rice going back and doing what she did on on Inauguration Day, 15 days after the meeting in the Oval Office. Then you've got John Podesta in his testimony. Well, he actually testified that Hillary Clinton did know in 2016 about the Russia dirt digging on Donald Trump. Because we now have he again, he was under oath. Sounds to me like he wasn't going to lie under oath. But he acknowledged that both he and Hillary Clinton were aware of her campaign and that they had purchased op research. That's the fusion GPS company that Robert Mueller had never heard of. And Podesta's comments are the most direct acknowledgement about what, what Hillary Clinton knew in real time about the effort to purchase what became known as the dossier. Uh, and his answer was, well, I think she was uh, she knew that we had an opposition research staff in house and we the campaign directly purchased op research. And she knew, I think, in general terms, he's trying to protect her. But the problem here is. I think I only learned subsequently that the payments were made through Perkins Coie, 50% from the campaign, 50% from the DNC. Remember, Donna Brazil said Hillary Clinton's team, they controlled the DNC money at that point. But this Susan Rice inauguration email tells an awful lot. By the way, now we have a question raised by the Federalist today, and that is James Clapper testified in July of 2017 that he never briefed then-President Barack Obama on the substance of phone calls between National Security Advisor Flynn and his Russian ambassador counterpart. And accounts from the FBI and James Comey and Andrew McCabe directly contradict Clapper's claim. So some of them are lying, just a matter of who, or maybe all of them. But you piece together all of this, it is it has been nothing but a witch hunt from the beginning. And now that we have all of this information that they set and ambushed General Flynn, they set him up, 
that they used a dossier that they were told ahead of time was unverifiable in February of 2017 when they got to Steele's subsource. The subsource on three separate interviews debunked everything that, that in fact, Christopher Steele was selling. So the subsource denied it all. But then they still used it for two more uh, FISA applications on Rod Rosenstein, one James Comey. Okay, now they've had so many warnings. Now they have direct evidence that it is unverifiable and debunked, but they continue to use it. And then that raises the issue of Rod Rosenstein sending a scope letter to Robert Mueller when he knew, in fact, none of this had ever happened. I mean, you can't make any of this up, but that's exactly what happened. You couldn't put it in a spy novel. All right, opening up the country safely. What have we learned? How do we apply it? Uh, We'll get an update from Dr. Oz today. We'll get back to this topic with John Solomon and Greg Jarrett. All right, glad you're with us. Hour 2, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Um, Yeah, while the Democrats are demanding state bailouts, $3 trillion more, the answer is obviously to reopen the country. You see now there's a conflict now breaking out everywhere. You had a Michigan judge siding with a barber who opened up, rejecting uh, Governor Whitmer's demand to close the shop. Another Michigan sheriff is saying he will not enforce Whitmer's stay-at-home order. Had the same thing happening at beaches in Orange County, California, that you have sheriffs saying, I'm not doing it. You have the Pennsylvania governor has threatened consequences for counties defying his lockdown orders. Um, Not sure that's going to work really well because there's now also uh, talk in Pennsylvania about impeaching the governor. Uh, We see around the world Italy has accelerated the lifting of lockdowns as protests continue there and and people are just fed up with all of it. Uh, New York has even announced that they're going to open up upstate counties. Um, We have what else do we have? We have a pretty sick story about inmates infecting themselves with coronavirus. We have Major League Baseball now. They have uh, the owners have sent their proposal to the players union. Uh, We're watching that closely but now the political divide is okay you've got many people wanting the country open and democrats resisting and you know anthony fauci is warning that schools may not be able to open he's not exactly been dead right on all of this i have a lot of respect for him i'm I'm not being critical but we have in colorado a restaurant defying a state order they're reopening and guess what it was packed totally packed and How do I interpret that? The people have been watching and they've made a determination. My interpretation of what people are thinking, this is my own observation, is that they have assessed what the real risk is and they're making their own individual decisions. Like, I I think, look, you compare New York to Florida. Florida, they they went in hard to protect the elderly, the older community, the most vulnerable more likely with un- underlying conditions, and they did the best job of anybody. You know, all of the models were proven wrong. Dr. Fauci was saying on February 29th that you don't need to change your lifestyle at all. He said, that, you know, as it relates to Corona, he said on March 10th, it's okay if you're young and healthy to go on a cruise. And in, now in his Senate testimony, he's warning of a new coronavirus outbreak if if states jump the checkpoints, I want to do it and do it quickly. Elon Musk now is 
reopening Tesla in defiance of shutdown orders in California. And that's he's saying, I'm going to pull my company out of this state if you keep this up. In New York, by the way, admissions have plunged to only 55 new patients. For New York, that's a very low number. Um, anyway, so how do you do it? How do you do it safely? Dr. Oz, our medical aid team, is with us. Dr. Oz, we have talked a lot about the intersection of medicine and politics. I guess we're at it right now. We're at it. There's that adage, when you mix politics and medicine, you get politics. <laughs> <It sort of laughs> that's probably true, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we've seen it with hydroxychloroquine. We've seen it with uh, the arguments about what's the end point. You know, I've, I spent a fair amount of time listening to the, the Swedish Minister of Health and the architect of their program. And we're not Sweden, so I'm not trying to say that's the path we should have taken. But his major point has it been, well, since you guys closed, now how do you know when you can open? Because we never closed, so we know what our strategy is. And for us, it was never a matter of trading lives for business. It was, we're going to keep business open. That's not an issue for us. We're going to do it no matter what. How will we go about making sure we had the fewest people uh, at risk? And they had their own problems. As you know, their nursing homes got hit hard. But when you ask that question, I keep coming back to the thought that so many of the people who we end up in the, within the hospital getting intubated and, and losing a, 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 too many uh, are folks who predictably had risk factors. There are exceptions. There's tragic cases. I just I was working with a guy today who lost a 45-year-old sibling. I mean, just unpredictable. So it's not 100%, but 95% of the time people have a risk factor. So if we can do the, the meticulous work of keeping our nursing homes clean and free of COVID and do everything possible to keep the vulnerable folks, especially the ones that are higher risk, away from this virus, then for much of the rest of the population, we don't want them getting infected, but at least the penalty you pay is a week in your back. It's not a long hospitalization. Here's my non-Dr. Hannity observation. When you protect the elderly population like they did in Florida, and you couple that with, you know, New York, I think you would agree with this statement, would have died if it weren't for people that didn't close down, that were making all of the medical supplies that we desperately needed. They, they stayed open, and they weren't dying of coronavirus. They were able to do it safely. We had a few outbreaks in meat processing plants, but we figured out how to do that better. We figured out how to now open up salons so people can get manicures, which I'll never do. Um, we figured out, I, I had on this program yesterday, Dr. Oz, this, this kid, he's 19 years old. He works in the local grocery store, and I'd see him once or twice a week. And every week I'd go, and I'd see him, and I'd talk to him. He's a great kid. And nobody that was stocking the shelves that sustained all of New York and Long Island during this pandemic um, got sick because they all wore masks. So between what DeSantis did and what this kid did wearing masks, anecdotally, I'm thinking w there's a lot that we can learn there, and we can learn a lot from what they did in New York by putting COVID patients in nursing homes. That was dumb. Yeah, it wasn't the best move, and I don't think people appreciated how dangerous it was going to be. More, no, more so, I don't think a lot of listeners appreciate how devastating that becomes because you get dozens of people at once dying uh, with one mistake, as opposed to making that same mistake in a meatpacking plant. With if you if you happen to have younger workers, I don't know this. I'm you know I'm guessing that these are younger folks. You you get sick people, 
Um, but but not everyone ends up in the hospital, and that's why no mistakes are desirable. But you have to be especially careful as we begin to open our societies up, uh, and th- this becomes part of the the, the story that we don't want to talk about because people don't want to be shamed and they don't want to feel awkward about bringing it up. But just calling it out as what it is, the errors that that will happen because they're going to be little fire. Uh, that happened here and there. You know, it came up today. All, all the positions pretty much speaking to the Senate today were acknowledging that there are going to be more cases. The purpose of sheltering in place, of quarantining, was never to extinguish the virus. In fact, quarantine, you know, just speaking as a doctor, it's the opposite of what we did, right? Quarantining means you take the sick people and you quarantine them for 40 days. Quarant, that's what the word, 40 days, you're away from everybody else. If you're coming to a new port, they'd lock you up for 40 days so that you couldn't get Newtown infected. Uh, there's beautiful forts all over the world where they used to yeah, keep people. We did the opposite. We quarantined healthy people. And that doesn't always work so well. Because that's why 66% of the new hospital admissions in New York, and thankfully the total numbers are dropping, but the majority still are people who sheltered in place. So somebody I mean, that was, that, was the, that that surprised me. And it surprised Governor Cuomo. It surprised everybody. But... I want to keep this simple. In my mind is, okay, when, where we didn't protect the elderly, New York, it was a disaster. Where they did protect the elderly, they had some of the lowest numbers in the, in the country, and that would be Florida. Um, Florida ended up with, I think, as of now, around 1,700 deaths. New York, they're headed towards 30,000, 25 to 30% nursing home related. We learned that we could keep open grocery stores. If people wear masks, we learning in Georgia, and I was very critical of Governor Kemp. I think I was wrong that they can open these salons safely for manicures and pedicures and stuff that I'll never do anyway. But but it's working. I don't know about the tattoo parlors yet. You haven't convinced me. Um, but I, I I think if we take the fact that all of these guys that stocked the shelves stayed safe, and when you protect the elderly, and people are out in the sun and they just keep a little socially distant. And if we wear those masks, if we go to stadiums, I would like to open up baseball stadiums. Well, I, I, I think we're to walk before we run. I bet I me mean, baseball stadiums. We'll see. Uh, I'd rather just then get playing first, playing safely, and so we can at least have some entertainment and enjoyment uh, and gossip about baseball. And then we can get to the issue of staying in. But I'll tell you, going to a baseball game or to an outdoor venue is much more reasonable than an indoor venue. That what I've been impressed by looking at just the numbers of when people get infected, if you put people in a, in a unventilated closed space uh, without any additional protections, it, it, it's a real challenge because if one person, just one person of the 30 people in the room, for example, has something that's about to break, about to have a COVID-19 event, and they have a little bit of virus coming out when they speak, even with a mask on, it challenges us because it creates a little plume of air. So, you know, in a, in, in a closed spectator event where people are yelling and screaming, there's even more saliva in the air. So I, I, those are not the best places for us to start this. We need to figure out and ensure we can get people working in, in meatpacking plants and in regular office work safely, I really believe we can do it. I really think that with different types of contraptions, plexiglass, curtains, I was, a guy Fieri was on my show today. And, and masks about, and know, gloves. Yeah. Masks and gloves. Masks are just, masks are essential. I mean, you bring it up, and God bless you for saying that. Masks are essential. I don't care if you're protesting, not protesting, just wear the darn mask. It's just a simple thing to do as, a, as an effort of courtesy, because you're actually helping others. The mask exactly. is not about you. So the mask can make that kind of question. Uh, gloves, you know, can wear them if you long, if you know how to wear them. Otherwise, wash your hands a lot. But masks are essential. And then on top of that, what else do we do? And you mentioned Governor Kemp. I think part of the issue is is 
if you open the state, will people come? I think Governor Kemp probably figured no one's going to go get a, you know, a, a tattoo. Maybe, I don't know if anyone ever did get it. My friends in Georgia said no one went. I mean, they opened them, but it didn't matter. It was much, mostly just emotional because people yeah. didn't generally go to those things. Well, I want to thank you. You've been amazing, Dr. Oz. We appreciate the update as always. Uh, thanks so much for being with can, us. Can, can I give one shout out to everybody? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're laser focused on raising money for food insecure people and in particular kids. So we've got our, health, our foundation, Health Corps. Uh, we also have the All In Challenge where you can come co host a show with me. Literally. Come co host hey a show. I want to co host it. How much do I have to pay for that? <laughs> I want right. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna invade your show. You'll get booed for the first time in your career. No. Uh, anyway, thank booed. you. Uh, what's right. the website? We'll put it up on our website. All right, All right. thank God you, bless sir. You. Take care. All right, eight hundred nine four one Sean toll free uh, telephone number. You want to be a part of the program, Doctor Thomas Yedegar is with us, medical director, ICU medical director of uh, hospital services. What are your thoughts on the reopening, number one? And number two, you've been dealing specifically with, with respiratory issues because ventilators have not worked out as well as people thought they did. Hi, Sean. Good afternoon. Um, my thought on reopening is I think it can be done. It can be done safely, but it needs to be done in a rational way. And I, I don't think that the federal government or even the governor should really be in charge of it. This is a disease that happens in clusters. And it really happens in localities and municipalities. You know, when our hospital first got hit, I started calling my colleagues and my friends in, in, in the Los Angeles area. And at that point, you know, none of them were seeing the number of cases that we're seeing. So By the way, you're really in Providence, Rhode Island, and you're between New York and, and Boston. Not a good place to be. We're actually in uh, Providence, uh, Cedar sinai We're in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you were in Providence, Rhode Island. I apologize. <laughs> not, no worries. Um, so yeah, it, it really needs to be done in a, in a collaborative way, but it really needs to be handled on a local level um, because it's happening, you know, at a, in a very kind of, re- it's not a regional thing. It's not the whole city. It's not the whole, you know, state that's, that's uh, having a I actually think California outbreak. did pretty well, uh, but people in California are hitting the beaches and people are not listening to Gavin Newsom about that issue. You know, I, I, I agree with Dr. Oz. I mean, I think that uh, this is a disease that's much more contagious in a closed environment. I think that um, in an open-air environment, it's very difficult uh, for you to contract this virus. Um, not unreasonable, but I think it's very difficult. So I think it's more of when you're in a cl- an enclosed space where it's, you know, poor, poor circulation, poor ventilation, that it becomes a much more contagious disease. Yeah. What are the respiratory issues? And by the way, you, you helped somebody close to me in my life. I want to thank you for that. You've been amazing and generous with your time uh, as it relates to this. Um, you know, what are the respiratory things that you've noticed that maybe others have missed? And I only have about 40 seconds here. Well, I mean, I think the two things, uh, the two most important things is that this is a virus that causes two different clinical syndromes. The first is an infectious disease where the virus is actually causing the harm. But the second and more important is that it's actually an autoimmune disease. And that's what's happening in the second week and beyond. It's not the virus anymore. It's really an autoimmune disease. And we talked about cytokine storms several weeks ago, but there's also other things like a hypercoagulable condition where you get blood clots, where you can get stroke, where you get vasculitis. These are all autoimmune disorders. And what we found in our ICUs is that these are the diseases that you need to treat, this autoimmune process. If you, dis- if you treat these autoimmune processes, the patients actually do incredibly well. And then you're dealing with a virus that's maybe a little bit more deadly than an influenza virus. No. But it's the autoimmune part of it that's really killing a lot of the patients. 
and it's the autoimmune that's and the treatment is very counterintuitive because now you have this patient who's in the ICU who's struggling who just had this virus this viral infection but now they're having an autoimmune process and you have to give them very very strong immunosuppressive medications things that I have not done in my 20 years these are the things that you have to do to save that patient's lives it's not yeah. it's not the virus and I think this is what's you know this is the part that's tricking all the doctors is that they think it's a viral infection and the virus is causing all these things but there isn't a virus in all oh. of mankind that causes so many different diseases and so many different manifestations. It's the patient's hey, immune system. That's, that's so key, and we're going to learn more. We'll have you back again. Uh, Dr. Yedegar, thank you so much for all you've done. All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the program. It is, I will tell you, we're going to lay out on Hannity tonight all this money they want to spend, all these states and cities that want basically a bailout of all their fraud, waste, mismanagement, unfunded pensions. And the American people in red states, you do not, and this is to my own detriment, don't do it. Because it is literally, they, they are trying to, at this point, they want you to pay for everything that they screwed up the last few decades. You can't, we can't afford it. We'll have the latest on that. Solomon and Jarrett next. Less big government. This is the Sean Hannity Show. That means we don't need another three trillion dollars to bail out states and municipalities. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Now we know the Department of Justice is now looking into the unmasking. Thanks to Rick Grinnell, DNI, and that information now sent over to the Department of Justice and they delivered information related to the unmasking uh, of General Flynn and likely others. As we now have these 53 interviews that the corrupt, compromised, congenital liar was hiding from all of us, what are we discovering? That every person that went in there said, "Uh, no, I haven't seen evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion, and he would race out to the socialist paper of record, New York Toilet Paper Times, uh, or Washington Compost, or Fake News CNN, or MSDNC, the Conspiracy Theory, Roswell Rachel Maddow Channel, and spew lies, and he was treated like a deity, meaning Schiff. Um, Now we've gotten to the point, well, we know about this January 5th meeting that took place in the Oval Office. And we know in this meeting that a lot of discussions took place. Uh, a lot of it had to do with you had Comey, you had, you had Biden, you had Obama, uh, you had Sally Yates and others in the meeting. At the end of the meeting, Obama pulls aside Comey and Yates. Yates testifies that she's shocked, absolutely shocked to learn that Obama knew everything about the phone call with General Flynn and this Russian soon-to-be counterpart. As a side note, both Susan Rice and Samantha Power both said that they had contact prior to them joining the Obama administration with their soon-to-be counterparts. Uh, What does it mean? Well, it means uh, I think that we have a question that needs to be asked Barack Obama. What did he know about unmasking and when did he know it? 
Uh, there is a possibility that, in fact, uh, he may at some point be questioned about this. Senator Grassley is saying that Biden and Obama should be interrogated about their roles in the fake Russia Gate investigation. Here to weigh in on their observations and much more, we have John Solomon. He is a Fox News contributor, editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com. Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, author of the bestsellers on this topic, the latest witch hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. Uh, John, let's go through. You've had more time now to go through the the new developments. It right. seems that uh, the I think the first show that we did involved you in March of 2017. It did. And it was about illegal surveillance, unmasking, leaking raw intelligence, wasn't it? That's right. We've gone full circle and, and started. we've come back to where we started this great journey three years uh, later. Uh, listen, remember, people showed up at my mailbox as I was coming back from your show that night. Uh, two, two people from the intelligence community, they never gave me their names, but they said the U.S. intelligence committee and specific, community and specifically the FBI were used in a horrible political dirty trick. And now we know in full measure, because of Greg's great books and the reporting we've all done, uh, exactly what those two guys meant that night. Uh, and what it meant was they set out to create a false narrative, to use the most important powers of the FBI, to make it look like President Trump and Mike Flynn were engaged in a conspiracy with Russia, even though they knew no evidence such existed. And we now know the earliest animus that anyone, of all the story characters we've had, the earliest animus for Mike Flynn started with President Obama. He fired him in 2014 as a DIA director. In November of, of 16, he told Trump, Flynn's one of your biggest problems you're going to have to worry about. And then on January 5th, he attended a meeting where the Justice Department officials were shocked to learn he already knew about the intercepts between Flynn and the Russian ambassador. The questions that Barack Obama hasn't answered now need to be answered. All right, let's look at the unmasking part from a legal standpoint. My understanding is, you know, we know that premeditated fraud, FISA court, all occurred. They were warned before the first FISA application. It was unverifiable, turned out to be debunked. They were warned not to use it. The steel was, had a political agenda. It's unverified. Hillary paid for it. They ignored it. They go forward. But they knew for sure in February of 2017, Greg, that, the subsource had been interviewed by that time three separate times and did not corroborate anything in the Steele dossier, but they still went forward with two more subsequent renewal FISA warrants. And then, of course, the scope uh, uh, memo put out by Rod Rosenstein to Robert Mueller, knowing that the basis of these these applications were fraudulent to even continue this witch hunt. That speaks volumes about Rod Rosenstein. I think he's in trouble because he also signed the fourth warrant. And then we have the director, Ray, in July of 2018, very late in the game, saying that these FISA applications were justified. Let's go to the unmasking part. Is it illegal to unmask an innocent American citizen? No, depending upon the purpose. Now, if the purpose is illegitimate, uh, not a, a serious national security interest, then you're not only violating regulations, but... Uh, you're violating the law. But whoever leaked after the unmasking to the Washington Post definitely committed a crime. That's against the law. So it's important to get our hands on the list of the people who are unmasking. We know, for example, already, uh, and thanks to John Solomon's reporting, that 
that Samantha Power, the United Nations ambassador for Barack Obama, was the unmasker-in-chief. Well, hang on, but we do know that she testified before the House Intelligence Committee that she had no idea 300 unmaskings took place in her name. Right, one on average per day, and her excuse was, gee, I, I, I think other people might have been doing that under my name. No, it's her responsibility, and I doubt very much that other people were doing it under her name without her knowledge and consent. So she's a suspect, Samantha Power. And by the way, she has no business unmasking because she's not in the national security business. She's the United Nations ambassador, for goodness sakes. The other person is national security advisor for Obama, Susan Rice. Now, uh, she's very suspicious because she wrote, she wrote a CYA memo at the very moment that uh, Trump was being inaugurated, uh, talking about how uh, Obama wants to do the investigation by the book, meaning Trump-Russia collusion, but also uh, holding out that maybe we shouldn't tell the incoming administration about it. And see, that was the plan, Sean, all along, to hide the Trump-Russia collusion investigation from Trump, to lie to him, which is what Comey did on several occasions, and to keep it going. And then, of course, Mueller and Rosenstein engaged in what was uh, an effort to legitimize an illegitimate uh, prosecution and investigation. So, you know, a lot of people involved in this. All right. At one point, John Solomon, your reporting was very clear, a, a huge spike in unmaskings in 2016 alone. And, we, and part of that was Samantha Powers, 300 unmaskings. She's denying it under sworn testimony before the House Intel Committee. Um, but what was the number? What was it, like 300% increase, something like that? It was over three years. I believe it was uh, fiscal 2014 to fiscal 2016. There had been a 300% spike in unmaskings. And what it meant is that the Obama administration was looking at more and more incidental intercepts of Americans. Remember, the NSA is not allowed to target Americans, but if they accidentally collect an American overseas on a phone call, uh, uh, they can keep the record. And what the Obama administration was doing was increasingly unmasking it to see what American that was and, and who they were talking to and what they were saying. And that is what Well, that's illegal spying on Americans. Are, aren't they, even if they have a warrant, aren't they supposed to practice something known as minimization? Once you sure. know an American is on the call and they're not talking about anything that would be that's nefarious... You're supposed to redact their name. And instead, what was going on is they were unredacting the names and unredacting the conversations of the American. And that's what gave pause to the court and gave pause to the civil libertarians. And remember, the liberals were all upset about this until they found out it was going to benefit Donald Trump, the unmasking scandal. And then they all went silent. The ACLU, everybody went silent. But this is a serious issue, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Americans have an assumption of privacy under the Constitution and on unmasking erodes that protection what do we glean from this january 5th meeting greg jarrett and that is where all these top officials are there at the end of the meeting sally yates is stunned to hear that obama had been fully briefed and up to speed on the unmasking and contents of the conversation uh with general flynn and this soon-to-be counterpart of his and then we also learned in that uh, from the testimony that we were able to glean from this week, last week, that in fact that we we finally got a glimpse at the first 302, the original 302 that we've never right. been able to get our hands on, and that the agent P 
Peter Strzok being one of them and another agent determined when they did ask the question about this phone call that they already knew the contents of and they were tricking him on and ambush him, ambushing him on day four of the Trump administration. But they but he was very clear. He said, look, I, I think I talked to him. I just don't remember specifically if we talked about that, which would not be a lie. Right. He, he was equivocal, which is not a lie. And look, uh, the, the handwritten notes, as well as a summary, which I quote verbatim in my book, Witch Hunt, you know, says that uh, the agents concluded that Flynn did not lie. They didn't think he was lying. He didn't think he was lying. So, you know, it's impossible to prosecute somebody for lying to the FBI when the agents themselves say he didn't lie. But the sequence is important, remember. Um, in late December, early January, the FBI Washington field office closed the case against Flint. No derogatory information. Uh, he's not a Russian asset. January 4th, Peter Strzok at the behest of Comey and McCabe countermanded it and ordered to keep it open. The very next day, July 5th, Comey meets with Obama at the White House. Biden, Brennan, Clapper, Yates, Rice, they're all there. Obama brings up the flynn Kislyak conversation. What are we going to do with this? The very next day, January 6th, uh, Comey goes over to Trump Tower and ambushes Trump with what was surely a, a trap and tells him about only two pages of the dossier. Then Comey rushes out to his SUV and types up a memo that he hopes will somehow be incriminating. Of course, it wasn't. Uh, Eleven days later, of course, the perjury trap is set by Comey, McCabe, and Strzok on uh, Michael Flynn. So this has Barack Obama's fingerprints all over it. He was at the head of it. And that's where I want to go with my next question to you, John. What do we glean from Obama's involvement? Because Greg Jarrett is right. So the meeting's January 5th. Susan Rice is there. Fifteen days later, uh, note to self, she's memorializing that that meeting from 15 days ago with the words, uh, President Obama said, do everything by the book. Why would you write that 15 days later? The ambush happened four days after that. That's 19 days after the Oval Office meeting um, where they did ambush, you know, bypassing norms and what they would never get away with or try to get away with in past administrations. And you don't need a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what do we glean from Obama's involvement in this, Having knowing he knew the phone call, knowing Susan Rice is doing a CYA? What do you glean from that? Well, let's add two more things to Greg's amazing timeline. Uh, after the White House meeting... What about Hannity's amazing timeline? Meeting, What's up with that? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the most important two other events. Three days after that meeting, the BuzzFeed gets the leak of the dossier. So the Steele dossier is flung into the public with no context, no, no realization that it's all bunk. The FBI already knows it's bunk. And then a couple of days after that, the transcript of the Flynn call with Kislyak is leaked. Those two leaks were designed to create in public the opposite of what was going on behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, they knew the case against Flynn had collapsed, the FBI was closing it down, and that Steele had been debunked by his own subsource. So the leaking is one of the key elements of the Obama administration trying to sustain a narrative that behind the scenes the FBI had determined was bogus. I think those leaks are a key to any conspiracy that goes forward. You have to understand the release of the information was designed to, to get the American public up in arms about something that, in fact, behind the scenes law enforcement had determined was a big nothing burger. What's next, Greg Jarrett? 
Well, I think uh, Durham is the next ball to drop, and I think he's looking at uh, several areas, the line to the FISA court, uh, the malevolence and lawlessness in the Flynn case, and finally the overall handling by the FBI and the special counsel of the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. So I think in play are things like uh, perjury, obstruction of justice, fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, deprivation of rights under color of law. That means people are using their powerful government positions to deprive people of their constitutional rights, people like Carter Page, and indeed, people like uh, Donald Trump. Amazing work, both of you. I I, I can't wait to get the unmasking list. Uh, This is going to get very interesting very fast, and we will get to the point. What did Obama know? When did he know it? Great work. Greg Jarrett, John Solomon, thank you. We'll continue to follow it. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. Your former Senate colleague Charles Grassley has added that Flynn was entrapped and asked on the Senate floor, what did Obama and Biden know? When did they know it? So what did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn? And was there anything improper done? I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn, number one. Number two, this is all about diversion. This is a game this guy plays all the time. The country is in crisis. We're in an economic crisis, a health crisis. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question Michael Michael Flynn over those uh, conversations he had with the uh, Russian ambassador Kislyak. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that, there, that they asked for an investigation. But that's all I know about it. And I don't think anything else. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we can accuse somebody of wrongdoing, we have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to affix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Now, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application. A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. All right, that was Rod Rosenstein. That was, uh, oh, a FISA application. You're putting your signature to this blah, 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 blah. All right, so timelines matter here, and the news is devastating. And yeah, Biden was in the January 5th, 2017 uh, meeting in the Oval Office. And yeah, the text messages do exist about, quote, Uh, an insurance policy, and the White House wants to be informed every step of the way. And we know that, in fact, Obama was there and Biden was there and Comey was there and Sally Yates was stunned, according to the testimony released late last week, uh, that we got to read the transcripts that Adam Adam Schiff was hiding, uh, that, in fact, uh, Obama knew everything about the Flynn phone call uh, up to his eyeballs in all of this. Uh, Now we're going to learn the names of Obama officials who likely illegally were unmasking General Flynn. I'd like to know who did what, when and where. But this declassification is going to be a big issue here as far as Biden. Well, he he should get fired. Why? For doing his job. 
Um, now, we know multiple warnings before the first FISA application. Uh, even in his interview before the House Intel Committee, Andrew McCabe, Deputy FBI Director, confirmed yet again, without the dirty Russian disinformation dossier, and again, in February of 2017, they knew it was Russian disinformation. They were warned about it before the first FISA warrant in October of 2016, but they kept using it anyway, including Rod Rosenstein, who signed the fourth FISA application, the third renewal, and he laid out the scope memo to Robert Mueller for his witch hunt, acting as though this wasn't all based on a fraud. So the attorney general now is saying the FBI extended the probe for the express purpose of laying that perjury trap against General Flynn, because now we have the transcripts there, too, that say, well, what is our aim here? Is it to get an admission or uh, or kind of coerce him into lying, cause him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired? Uh, so now we need to know what did Obama know? What did Biden know? What did Samantha Powers know? What did Susan Rice know? You know, and when did they all know it? Uh, because you got Obama, you got Comey. They hatched their plan in large part because they kind of knew that the guy that was going to blow the whistle on all of this was General Flynn. When you look at John Podesta's testimony, Hillary Clinton knew that, in fact, this dossier was going to be Russian dirt that they were buying and paying uh, for that they were planning on using. That's why this whole Mark Elias thing is amazing, because they know where the money went to and what the money money was spent on. And, you know, Susan Rice going back. Remember, this meeting took place January 5th, 2017, 15 days later, Inauguration Day. She's writing a note to self. Obama said to do everything by the book. And we have James Clapper and, and Brennan. In the case of Clapper, uh, appears he might have lied to Congress about briefing Obama on Flynn's phone calls because he said that he didn't under oath. So as you piece this together, uh, what you see is everything that we told you and then some. And we even see why Adam Schiff tried to prevent all these interviews from getting out because he was being told by person after person that they saw no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. Then he would go to the cameras and go to the newspapers and say just the opposite. Rand Paul is following this. Also had a good exchange with uh, Anthony Fauci earlier today. How are you, Senator? Quite good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Let's start with, you know, I have always believed, Senator, that we need FISA applications or need an ability, you know, to check in on outside sources, uh, people outside this country and maybe people inside this country to, that are talking to bad actors in Russia, China, Iran, wherever they happen to be. And that's the way the FISA court was supposed to be designed. But the power was abused here. Does that mean you have to get rid of the whole thing or is there a way to save it, but also put in the safe measures to protect people's privacy and civil liberties? You know, I think FISA, which is a secret court that's supposed to investigate foreigners, should not be used against political campaigns. So I think what they did to President Trump was unconscionable, illegal, and we should never let it happen again. But this is an ideal time to fix it. The president will sign a fix if we actually give it to him. What people are talking about is fiddling around with the edges, sort of weak sauce to increase some of the process of what goes on. My amendment would do different. My amendment would say Americans have no business in a secret court that uses a less than constitutional standard. I don't mind surveilling foreigners. We've got to do it. We need to do that. The Foreign Intelligence Court can do that. That's what it was intended for. But if you would have asked the authors of this in 1978, 
you know, should we be using this to investigate a presidential campaign? They would have scoffed and they would have said, oh, my goodness, you have to have a much higher threshold. And this is where Obama comes in, because this was so extraordinary. There's no way he was not briefed from the very beginning on Operation Crossfire. So did he know about the Flynn? Sure he did. Sounds like he's telling his own comrades he knew about that. But did he also know about the investigation going all the way back to the dossier? Without question, because this was so sensitive that I don't think they would have done it without going to the president first. When we find out the names of those people that were unmasking General Flynn, now usually the process in surveillance is if they are surveilling uh, somebody from outside that they have a warrant on uh, and an American citizen is on the line and they don't have a warrant to listen to that American citizen, uh, even if they recognize the person uh, being who they are, uh, they are supposed to engage in a process called minimiz- minimization, which is that they and when they write up what happened, they don't mention the person's name uh, is unmasking illegal. Senator Paul. Absolutely. But think about it with Carter Page. It's worse. It's not that he's an incidental person. They actually made an American who is part of the Trump campaign the target. See, my point is that just shouldn't happen. Let's say there really was somebody who worked in a campaign who is a Russian spy. Go to a judge. There's no judge in a, in a regular American Article Three constitutional court that will not give you a warrant. And you can actually get a secret warrant to listen to someone's phone. But eventually they're told about it. See, President Trump would have never known if he lost the election, we would at this very day never know that they abused the system to go after him because he would have never been told, he would have never had a lawyer, and he would have never had a day in court. That is wrong, and they should not ever do that to an American. If an American really is a spy, you go to an Article Three court, they can meet in secret, and you can get a warrant from a federal judge. They actually don't turn them down. This kind of stuff would happen and did happen before we created FISA, but it's a real abuse and it's a danger to really the fabric of our country to allow this secret court with a less than constitutional standard to investigate presidential campaigns. And uh, Lord, I mean, when you look at how many biased people were in there, Clapper, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page, you name it. You can't let these people have this kind of power because there's a corrupting influence to power. Seems to me like this was an attempted coup and an insurance policy coup. Uh, without question. And the thing is, is it should scare us to death, because if they can do that to a, a nominee of a major party, imagine what they can do to a congressman or senator they don't like, or a mayor or somebody who's just in business, that if you become an enemy of the state, what happens to you? And think about it from your perspective. You take many positions on the air, and there are many people who don't like those. Do you want the intelligence agencies to have the power just to say, oh, Sean Hannity, why don't we tap his phone? We should not allow Americans to have their phone. Oh, you mean like releasing my court. private my private text messages, <laughs> which happened in a court, or yeah. or so. or uh, asking as part of their uh, uh, investigation with the special counsel uh, about phone calls that, and text messages that they stole from me? Because that all yeah. happened to me, Senator. Yeah, and see, the thing is, is particularly in in journalism or broadcast journalism, what you'll find is that you may have contacts around the world, so you may talk to people for your background research in Europe, or you may I interview do all people the time. from Europe or from the Middle East or different places. But now, if we just do an algorithm, we say, 
well, who is this guy? We don't know who he is. He's masked, but he's calling people in Europe and he's calling people in the Middle East. Maybe we should just tap his phone. And then they do. But then an unscrupulous person says, oh, well, it's just Sean Hannity. We shouldn't be listening to him. Then they say, oh, no, it is Sean Hannity. We hate that guy. So why don't we secretly feed this information to the media or to someone else? They shouldn't be allowed to do it. And that's why we should really keep Americans out of this. And it should be for foreigners. And if an American Agreed. gets connected to the phone call, there has to be an absolute masking that can only be uncovered by a regular court. So they, or if you're involved, if you actually truly are involved mm-hmm. in espionage, then I think it obviously is, is reasonable to un, unmask the person. But I, there are real well, dangers. And here's my fear is we're not going to really fix this. And I've told the president this, they're going to give you fake reform. And really, as, as much as Barr is good on some issues, on this he's not. He's a big advocate of the, of the deep state as far as intelligence power. And he's fought us at every turn. He didn't want any of this legislative reform. Then when he lost that battle and the president said, no, we have to have some legislative forum, he got involved. And this is a package negotiated with the Democrats. This is something that Pelosi and Adam Schiff and others agreed to with Bill Barr. It's not what the real reformers wanted. Those of us who really want to fix it, so what happened to Trump could never happen again, we're very, very disappointed with this package. Let me uh, shift gears here. Uh, Anthony Fauci ran into a Rand Paul buzzsaw of sorts today, um, and uh, and I agree with a lot of what you said. I respect Dr. Fauci. He has spent decades of his life. He served six presidents. He saved lives. Uh, and and maybe even a lot of this is through no fault of his own. But even on February 29th, he was telling us that uh, the risk is low. Um, everybody got it wrong. China lied to the world. That's part of the equation. Uh, then we have, you know, these these models. Every one of these models have been wrong. And. I am, you know, I'm pretty disgusted by all of this. And now we're trying to reopen the country and do it safely. And I think that you're right in as much as when we write the history books here is that all these models, all these predictions have been wrong. And I think we have to now open the country safely. My benchmark is, well, New York stayed open because the there's some people that didn't stop working, providing all the medical equipment, other people that stayed working and stocked all the shelves in every grocery store and the drugstore stayed open, Senator. And I saw the same people working there and I see them there now and they wore masks and they all seem to be okay with the mask. You've had coronavirus. You know what this thing is like. It's tough for a lot of people. Um, But can we open safely? And I think masks are a big part of the answer. I think the main thing is that there are a lot of people who are experts. I don't you know, doubt that Fauci is sincere and that he wants what's best for the country, but he's an extremely, extremely cautious person. And if we listen only to his voice, we'll never open the schools and we'll never get moving again. So we have to listen to a variety of experts. That Neil Ferguson from, from England, turns out that he predicted 2 million deaths, and his conservative estimate, if they did all of the lockdown, was a million deaths. Well, he was so wrong, but guess what? When they had mad cow disease a few years back, he predicted 136,000 deaths and 100 people died. So this is the kind of people we're listening to. Everyone who calls himself an expert is not always right. Predicting the future is not easy. And so when people say we have to close the school down, my point to Dr. Fauci was, well, what is the mortality between 0 and 18, these kids in school? It's virtually zero. What was the mortality in New York between ages 18 and 45? 10 people died per 100,000. Now, does it get worse? Yeah, you go up in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it gets a lot worse, but it's a exponential curve on the tail end of life. I got to take a break, but I think that's why 
uh, what's uh, Governor DeSantis did so well because he targeted the elderly. All right, we'll continue yep. to follow the Senator Rand Paul. As always, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll follow both these issues very closely. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. One thing we we have been talking at length about is, all right, how do we get baseball up and running? How do we get stadiums outside up and running? We know Major League Baseball owners approved yesterday a proposal to set, set to be delivered to the Players Association today that in the most optimistic scenario would begin spring training in about a month. Start the season the first week of July, around 4th of July weekend. The 30 control people for the teams were briefed Monday by the commissioner and their staff on what exactly will be put on paper given to the the union for the players and the MLB and the Players Association have been informally speaking for weeks about this. Uh, They will have to agree to a shortened season. Plan is for 30-man rosters, at least initially. A uh, 20-man taxi squad to provide depth as the season gets along. So uh, we're going to watch it. Look, my plan is simple. I think you tell the most vulnerable, and I'm not trying to be mean or trying to discriminate in any way. We're just looking out for people's health. Those that are older, compromised immune systems, underlying conditions, you know, we'd invite you to take the year off. One year. Not that we want to do it. Um, but I think it's in your best interest, too. And then you, you have those turnstile temperature taker things. People walk through. If they have a temp, you pull them aside. You don't take their name. You don't take their phone number. You give them a website and say, you can pick any game you want. We'll give you better tickets than you have today. But because you have a temperature out of an abundance of caution, you can't come. Here are Here's our advice. Uh, you may want to go see your doctor, get a COVID-19 test, which, for example, in New York is now available pretty much everywhere. And how you do, how you protect your family at home until you get your result and what contact tracing would be if, in fact, you turn positive. Just give them a piece of paper. Give them a little booklet. Everybody else can come in. Yankee emblem mass handed out to anybody that doesn't have them. You go in, you watch the game. If you want extra safety precautions in the beginning, maybe every other seat. I don't think it's a problem, but you also will test everybody that works in the stadium. They have the five-minute test. They can all buy them. The MLB, NFL, they can all buy them from Abbott. And that test gives every worker in the stadium, every player, every coach, every trainer, every food handler, every ticket taker, every everybody, every broadcaster, they would have to get the test first before they can work at whatever the stadium happens to be. People walk through the temperature check. Everybody wears a mask. You could probably only sell hot dogs and you have to drink through a straw. You kind of slip it under your mask and do it that way. That that's what I would feel comfortable doing that. Um, now everyone, I, I look, what we're watching around the country is everyone is deciding what their comfort zone is. And we are seeing a country that has basically had it. They don't want to be told anymore what they can and cannot do if they deem it to be safe and they're willing to take a risk. Look, we learned a lot here and we learned a lot from a lot of mistakes. The worst state was New York. By sending COVID-19 patients into the most vulnerable population in nursing homes, long-term care facilities. That was dumb. The best state was Florida. They did just the opposite. They literally surrounded the elderly population, the more vulnerable, in nursing homes, in the villages, everywhere else. And that's why their death rate was so minuscule compared to New York. I mean, fully 30% of New York deaths could have been prevented. 
I mean, that's that's a lot of deaths that could have been prevented. I mean, especially when you're looking at New York, where you've had over 20,000 deaths, you know, 25 to 30 percent of that, I believe, probably could have been prevented had they used the the comfort, the hospital ship. And if they used the Javits Center, all the personnel, all the beds built by the president, all the medical equipment supplied by the president, COVID-19 converted, done by the president. And yet they're sending him back into nursing homes. That was pretty stupid. You know, I think we're headed up to 6,000 deaths just because of that. Now we learned today in New York that the State Department of Health in New York had ordered counties to ramp up testing in nursing homes, but then they sent out 1,600 damaged test kits. I mean, you just can't screw this up any more than they did. Um, if you look at the numbers nationwide, you're, again, if you take out New York, New Jersey, California, Florida, Georgia, Washington State, you, you, I mean, that's where the vast, overwhelming majority of people died in this with very specific reasons. We now know this targets the elderly. We now know those that have underlying medical conditions are the most vulnerable. We now know we can mitigate that if we do what Florida did. We also know that all of the people that kept New York alive and with all the medical equipment they needed, well, they never shut down those manufacturing centers. And we know all the guys stocking the shelves in every grocery store in New York, they were the lifeline to keeping the stores full of groceries and food and 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 helping America, New York families sustain themselves, or they would have been empty. And they, by and large, all I've seen is nothing like but the kid we had on yesterday. They put their masks on and they all ended up fine. That To me, that that's a sign that we can open with everybody agreeing to wear the mask. Now you're saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. Then you can't, go to, you can't go to your local stadium. That would be the rule. Now, if you want to argue, if you want to protest, go ahead. But it's we're talking about what is likely to be a very short period of time. When you think of the benefits of being able to go to a baseball game and you pick your favorite team and you put your favorite team's emblem mask on like everybody else in the stadium and you can just lift your mask and take a bite of a hot dog and then slip your straw underneath the mask and drink your beer through a straw. I'd rather do that than stay home. I keep saying it, but to me, it's time. Now the question is, you know, are, are these politicians going to manipulate this? The damage that will be done to the economy, Mnuchin is not wrong. This will be permanent damage if we keep going along this way. And then I'm watching Nancy Pelosi, another $3 trillion to bail out the states and the cities. And I'm like, why? This has nothing to do with COVID relief at all. None of it. Anyway, let's get to our phones here. Uh, let's say hi to Denny in Indiana. Denny, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hi, Sean. It's 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 great to talk to you. Hey, um, uh, the thing that I wanted to talk to you about was that uh, you know we're growing pretty frustrated out here in uh, in flyover country with the conservatives. You know because there's been no indictments in this whole process. You know we're getting used to the speed of Trump, not the speed of the House and Senate. And um, it, it it's uh, it's been kind of a sore subject. And I think you know, last week I was thinking that uh, that yeah, this went all the way to Obama, and um, and there were consequences. It and the Department of Justice was afraid to push and open that up. And I thought it might have been because uh, all of these guys that they're talking to from Comey and his crew that uh, they were using that as a trump card. You know, basically, maybe bad choice of words. But basically uh, saying, hey, look, you don't want to talk to me because 
uh, Obama's involved in this, and you really don't want to go there. And I, and I thought that maybe they were afraid of that. But now that that has been opened, and I don't know exactly why, I'm hoping that um, they're doing that to kind of neutralize that threat. And now that he's out there and things are going to happen, maybe we will get in some indictments. So I, uh, I guess maybe I'm. Well, I think I'm it's clear. I mean, opinion on that. I mean, I'm I'm going through all of this, and what are we learning here? We're learning that you know we will now know the names, I believe, of all of those people that were involved in what is likely the illegal unmasking of General Flynn. Do you know when I first asked this question, Denny? Do you know when we first began our dive? It was a, a lot of it had to do with illegal surveillance, unmasking, leaking raw intelli- intelligence, all of it which happened. Very, now now we are very, literally really putting people inside of the Oval Office discussing, and to the surprise of Sally Yates, even Obama, discussing the unmasked words of General Flynn. Now, who told him? Because guys like Clapper, well, they said under oath that they did not do that. Now we're going to find out who did. The good news is none of this would have happened, I don't think, but for the work of, well, the foundational work of Inspector General Michael Horowitz. He did a thorough job, but it's not complete. He was limited within the confines of the DOJ only. But now it's John Durham, and now it's Attorney General Barr. And we see how corrupt this got. We see how they literally ambushed and set up an American war hero and were plotting and scheming and planning against a candidate, a transition team, and a president. And that is that is what happened. There's no ambiguity anymore. It's all going to be, we now know and have confirmed all of those facts to be facts. Now getting the people responsible held to the standard of justice is the next challenge. Hopefully they will get it done. I, I agree, because if there's no consequences, there will not be any change. And um, it, and there's never going to be another attempt to kind of restructure this than there is right now. Hey, we, but we got to get this right, because it's everything about the rule of law that's in play here. Everything. Uh, anyway, good call. Thank you, Denny. Hang in there in Indiana. We love our friends in Indiana. Indiana had an outbreak, too. Um, I know people that passed away there. It's it's devastating. Um, let's protect the elderly population. That That is where this now seems to be. This is now, we've learned a lot. We've learned what works. We learned what doesn't work. Now we've got to implement what works and do it on a mass scale and as expeditiously as we possibly can. Uh, let's say hi to Carrie is in Pittsburgh. Carrie, how are you? Glad you called. I'm fine, Sean. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Well, I wanted to uh, comment on the, the caller that you just had on because my original question was going to be regarding uh, all of the things that have come out regarding this going all the way to the top. And one, one of my comments is if we're going to expose that evidence, we better have the courage to actually go all the way to the top because we're going to show the American public that it did. And if we don't have the courage, we talk about Obama officials, but I'm talking about Obama himself. So I hope we have the courage to do that. But what I really wanted to make a suggestion, because I know you have the president's ear. And, you know, I keep um, reading that I have the president's ear. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody in the media, they'll, they'll actually write me, well, what's the president's thinking on this? And I'm like, well, what, why don't you ask the president? How would I know what his thinking is? Well, don't you talk to the president? And I said, well, will you give me a list of all of your sources? Because you're in the media, <laughs> right? And I'm in the media. And after you give me your full and complete list of every source you have, I'll consider confirming or denying whether or not I talk to anybody you think I might or might not have talked to. I'm not telling anybody who I talk to. 
I believe in privacy in conversations, uh, Kerry. And you know what? The only reason the last three years we've gotten a lot of the information we got is because I protect my sources, period. Right. Well, I do have a suggestion if, 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 if he or, you know, ever want, want to uh, make this known. We, can't, we constantly hear about the data and we constantly hear about projections in the charts. And a lot of times President Trump will say, you know, there's a lot of deaths on the other side. You talk about uh, drug overdose, alcoholism and suicide. And I wish, I just wish that in his task force, now that some of that data is actually coming in, we're told, believe the science, believe the data. I wish somebody in, in the, in the uh, mental health, a psychiatrist, someone that is very well respected in the community, could have our own data and our own charts to project, look, if these shutdowns continue, um, this is what possibly could happen. Um, because, you know, President Trump talks about it. But it would be really, really um, just, I think, educational if people could actually see the other side with actual data and actual projections that, yeah, the suicide hotline is ringing off the hook. Uh, the beer distributor, I mean, people are drinking a lot more. People that maybe never drank before, uh, spousal abuse, ch- uh, child abuse, all the things they talk about. But it's just talk unless there's an actual chart. Listen, all of what you're saying anecdotally is true. I mean, have you read that alcohol sales are up 50 percent? I guess people are home and bored. Uh, The other thing that, you know, there were two terrible cases in New York. We had an emergency room, a woman, a doctor that took her life, uh, an EMT that is in the middle of all of this took his life. And then there are others Um, and people. You know, the trauma, the stress of dealing with a pandemic and and life and death, it wears on people. Um, I don't know if we'd ever be able to accumulate the right, correct data on any of this. It seems like all data all the time is more wrong than right. But, you know, there there certainly are consequences for locking people up um, and closing down doors and the impact it's having on people. Right, Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern. Uh, we've got to open up the country. Yes, safely. Uh, no, blue states should not be given $3 trillion. That's insane. We'll show you why. And uh, we've got to hold the deep state accountable on what they did, especially as it relates to spying on other people and unmasking them. Lindsey Graham, Senator Kennedy, Larry Kudlow, Mike Huckabee, uh, Dan Bongino, Geraldo, much more. 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. See you then. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.